welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. I'm Sydney DeLorean. And this is like a month of strange for you guys because I have another new co-host. What's going on, Alex? Nothing much. How's it going? It's going great. I'm in air conditioning right now, which is uh, super exciting for me because I was just outside and that was downright unpleasant. So... (laughs) Uh, well, it's uh, it's 95 degrees here with humidity at about 80. Oh, good Lord. Um, Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Saluda County, South Carolina. It's in the Midlands. Okay, what does in the Midlands mean? Okay, Um, well, the state of South Carolina is you have the low country, which is the lower part of the state, the marshlands, the swamps. Then you have the uh, the the middle part of the state, which is the Midlands and also covers parts of the PD, which they're more flat lands with hills, very forested. And then you have the upstate, which is uh, mountains oh. along the Appalachian mountains. Okay. So you guys kind of have it all. Uh, ge- yes, ma'am. We have uh, all sorts of, we actually have deserts. We have uh, indigenous rainforests. We have uh, grasslands, wetlands, and the mountains. Um, okay, two things. Number one, I just learned that part of the Appalachians are in South Carolina, which <laughs> I don't pretend to be a smart person. Um, so I'm I'm pretty honest about what I know and do not know. I just um designed in Photoshop this morning a giant map of the US with major geographic features on it that I'm having printed out a double poster size to hang on my bedroom wall because I feel like that's going to come in handy when I read things if I can just look at the wall and get a better (laughs) geographic understanding because we have a huge country. There is so much in it. And like sometimes my brain rearranges things and uh, much like just learning that there are there are Appalachian mountains in South Carolina. Well, just a little bit more for you. Uh, the Appalachian Mountains actually starts in Georgia and ends in Maine. It's over 2,000 miles for the Appalachian Trail through Hiker. Holy cow! Yep. So whenever you visit the Appalachian Mountains, you'll see signs that say this is a trail stop where people who are doing a through hike, which normally takes about six months to do, can stop there and, you know, It's kind of like a general store, post office, first aid spot. Okay, number one, um, this is good for me to learn because I think it's been established a lot of my knowledge base that I have about anything comes from reading celebrity biographies. So a huge part of my knowledge of the South comes from Dolly Parton's autobiography. Um, Well, she is our queen. So, (laughs) Yes, she is. Um, And uh, I I think she's an angel here on earth. And uh, we are so lucky to be alive at the time that she is alive because she is a blessing. But number two, is it that's a popular hike? Like people from all over will come and do the whole Appalachian Trail? Yes, ma'am. Um we frequently uh well a previous job of mine i was a pyrotechnician for commercial fireworks so people in the mountains well we all um as part of this episode i was gonna talk about things that are kind of specific to our area and firework laws are extremely lax in the southeast and actually south carolina in particular has the most lenient south care uh fireworks laws in the country really Yes. 
Uh, if you can walk, talk, and handle money, you can buy fireworks here. So there's not a lot, there's no age restrictions? Um... No, I remember at the age of four buying my own fireworks. Did you know a lot of kids growing up who got injured by them, or is the safe use of them part of your childhood? Well, actually, from my personal experience and those around me, generally the injuries sustained from fireworks shows that you're using them properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shooting each other with a Roman candle is a very nice activity. That's what the kids are into. Yes. I've I've had part of my ear hit by a Roman candle. Um it's I mean it's just it, it's in good fun. Uh that's something that's I feel very different from the rest of the country. We 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 show a lot of pride in in bruising and scarring and the such. That's sort of roughhousing. Um, yes. Yeah, I grew up in Michigan, and my stepdad and brother used to drive a couple states over to whatever state was more lenient with what they could sell, and they would bring it back for Fourth of July. Um, but then my mom, when she was working as a home health care nurse, she had a patient who was a young boy, and he blew off half of his dick and one of his testicles and three of his fingers uh, in a fireworks <laughs> accident, and that was the end of fireworks uh, in the DeLorean household. Um, oh no! Yeah, and. And so I'm kind of scared of them. I, I was excited to learn that Zach is also scared of them because he almost blew off his dick uh, in a similar accident. He didn't, thank goodness. Um, and a friend of mine, she lost three. And she's a she's like a pyrotechnics expert. Um, mm -hmm. But <clears throat> she was she was about to throw an M80, and some people appeared, quote unquote, out of nowhere, and like right in her line of where she was going to throw it. And sh so she hesitated and it blew off her fingers. So I'm scared of them. But I know like for other people, they're just like, yeah, like that's, that's part of life. Accidents happen. It, I mean, it definitely is. I, I kind of, uh, I kind of go against the grain as far as what's expected of women here. Uh, because my father raised three daughters, uh, my two younger sisters are twins. I'm the oldest. And so it's, he's one of nine kids. Also, that's a very common thing down here. We don't know how to use birth control and it's just all, you know, it, it happens the way it is. Um, so my dad's the youngest of nine. I'm the oldest of three and all of his brothers, you know, were rough and it just kind of trickles down to us. Um, so you grew up, um, you're a bit younger than me, um, about 10 years, but so you grew up your whole life in the South? I grew up originally in the low country. And as I was saying earlier, that's the marshy, swampy area of South Carolina. So whenever you picture the Everglades, whenever you see the shows on TV where people are on like fan boats and stuff on the Everglades, mm-hmm. Um, you have that all through Southern Georgia and along the Savannah River, which separates South Carolina from Georgia. Um, I grew up on a wildlife hunting reservation. It was 8,568 pe uh, acres with 10 people on it. Uh, my family was five out of the 10. Were you homeschooled or did they have like a school there? Uh, well, at the age of five, my daddy, uh, worked for, well, he worked for the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, which are, you have two types. You have the kind that stop you and give you tickets for hunting malfunctions or whatever, or <laughs> malfunctions, malfractions. Um, and 
then you have the kind that, you know, bush hog fields and tag ducks and everything else. And that's what my daddy did. So whenever I got about five, my mama and daddy decided to move somewhere that had adequate schooling. Um, there's actually a documentary called the corridor of shame, which follows I 95 through the South of South Carolina, because at the time the lower belt of South Carolina had the lowest, um, educational, scoring in the country while also having one of the highest poverty rates Mm -hmm. uh in in the country as well which those always go that goes hand in hand Uh, of of course the book I just finished reading which I have talked about on way too many episodes and it's encouraged me to become a faster reader um I bought reading glasses today unrelated I bought reading glasses today because when I got LASIK it messed up my near vision and I get headaches reading and so I finally bit the bullet I'm America's auntie. I bought some reading glasses. Um, It is helping. But the book I just finished reading uh, is about a journalist who moves to Georgia. And um, the final couple chapters are about the education system. And he says, like, without exemption, the poorest um, school districts in the country are also the lowest performing. Like, those just go hand in hand. Um, But I wrote down that documentary, Corridor of Shame, and maybe I'll make Zach watch it. And we can talk about it on his podcast, which is basically us watching documentaries um, and talking about it. That sounds very interesting. <laughs> well, the the interesting thing, um, whenever I was going to graduate school, it was, it was for um, a, to teach art in, in most likely a high school level. And then I decided college and then I decided I didn't like people. Um, that and, is a very similar uh, trajectory that I took with graduate <laughs> school as well. Yeah, <laughs> I got out before I spent another, you know, $50,000. Um, but while I was there, you know, we, we were talking about the corridor of shame. And of course, no one in my class, a lot of the people were from out of state, but those who were, most of them were from the upstate. In South Carolina, the more wealthy you are, the closer you live in the mountains. Oh, okay. Or you live on the beach. Okay, yeah, it's that's like the two. bougie area is... Yeah. Okay. So so even though the low country is near the beach, it's the, the poor side. So up, I mean, I remember even growing up, um, I was born in Allendale County Hospital, which is three houses connected with a walkway, no nursery. So, you know, it, it, it was nothing. And whenever they released this documentary, it put a you know, a boot up somebody's ass and they started building schools for these kids because they had textbooks from, you know, the sixties, they had Mm -hmm. science books that were no longer accurate. Um, and so Nikki Haley was the one who started it with knocking down the buildings. And before that, of course, I'm sure you know of our lovely governor, Mark Sanford, who stole all of our money to ship around his Argentinian girlfriend. Um, I didn't know about that. Yeah, he funneled all of our education money into his mistress. Um, That seems to be a common thing in uh, corrupt school districts. Most of the time, they're just funneling it into made-up jobs to give to their friends. Um, But that's like some next-level stuff, is funneling it into your girlfriend. Yeah, and his his wife stayed with him. It was... Which um, was a part of, actually, uh, what I wanted to talk to you about was... um, you know, households, how the the structure is. 
Um, but I did want to preface that whenever we talk about the Southeast as Southeast, you know, people from the Southeast, we do not include Arkansas, Kentucky, Virginia, or West Virginia. What, uh, what are those considered? Well, we consider Arkansas the Midwest, Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia. We don't, we just don't consider them. I mean, <laughs> it's like a Mariah Carey, I don't know her situation. Pretty much. Uh, whenever Arkansas, you know, if they if they consider them themselves part of the Southeast, we just kind of treat them like little cousins that don't know. Kentucky, we just consider them inbred hicks, and Virginia, they're you know bougie. Yeah, well, it's very affluent there. Um, and you'll have to excuse me because I, I I don't know things. Were those part of the South during the Civil War? Um, well, the Mason, it, a lot of people, especially that live in Virginia and such, is Virginia and Kentucky, the Mason-Dixon line follows along the top of their states versus below it. But we don't consider them because they're customs. They we we share very few customs that are similar. Now, people in Kentucky can also be considered hill folk, which mm-hmm. so you have different kinds of people. So you have rednecks, you have hicks, you have hill folk, you have hillbillies. They're all different. They're not the same people. Okay, rednecks, hill folk, hillbillies, and hicks. And hicks. Okay. And they are all distinctly different. Yes, they're all different. Um, okay, and... <laughs> because, see, that's something that it just, it drives us bananas. Because you'll you'll watch a movie, and it'll be somebody from, like, Mississippi, and they'll call him a hillbilly. Someone from Mississippi cannot be a hillbilly. Okay. Um, and <laughs> It makes no sense. <laughs> okay, what would you consider... Because when people use these, um... I guess these slang terms they use, and they're using them in the pejorative sense, and it's usually describing a white person of like lower socioeconomic right. status or um, like poor manners or unsophisticated. So if someone falls into that category, but they're from Mississippi, what would you call them? We'll see. Okay, so I'll I'll just give you a quick rundown of the difference. Okay, so hill folk are people that are you know. They're a slower way of living. They're country people, but they're good people. Those are hill folk. Those are people that, you know, you. whenever you're out of signal, out of phone signal, you can walk to their house and they'll let you use their house phone. Those okay. are hill folk. They will offer you food while you're there. Hillbillies are white trash hill folk. Oh, okay, okay. Hillbillies live in under no underpinning trailers in the mountains, and they definitely have expired food that they give to, you know, people that knock on their door asking for food drive food. <laughs> like, they are just the worst. They are tapping somebody else's cable from next door. Okay, that, I know exactly the type of person that you are um, <laughs> predicting. And I'll, because my, my mom's last boyfriend, uh, Eddie Blackman, she did um, a road trip with him where they went to visit all of his relatives because his family's from the south he was you know everyone's born at home type of person Mm -hmm. um like yeah not one not one person in that family was born in a hospital and they went to visit his um aunt and uncle and they lived in a trailer park and their son had been killed by a downed electrical line and it was the fault of the power company but the power company 
to try to prevent a lawsuit said, hey, if you promise not to sue us, we'll give you free electric for life. So they said, sure, we're not going to sue you for killing our son. We'll take the free electric for life. And so they lived in this little... um, eight trailer sort of compound out in the middle of nowhere and every trailer uh just arranged themselves in a circle and they all plugged into the same like electrical cord coming out of the one trailer like they were so i so they would be hillbillies i guess um oh hell yeah okay so those aren't just hillbillies those are white trash now white trash is well they the were black so i don't know call somebody oh no it doesn't matter who you are you just white you're trash. trash is the bottom of the barrel okay white trash bottom of the barrel yes see okay so i once dated a hockey player from minnesota because they're my type um and he we were hanging out and he came to my mama's christmas party because my mama is the person who organizes parties all the time anyway we get there and as we're leaving my family was there and he began to talk about somebody in my family and he said he looked me straight in the eyes and said i didn't know you were related to white trash i made him pull over the car and made his ass walk home no you didn't yes i did i'm impressed those are fighting words those are fighting words don't insult somebody's family if you call somebody's family white trash, it doesn't matter. They could have killed your entire family. You don't call them white trash. White trash is a genetic disorder because if you call my mama white trash, you're calling me white trash. Got- <laughs> gotcha. So It's a hereditary thing. Okay. So what would a... <laughs> I love this so much. Um, What would a hick be? A hick? Okay, so... Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show uh, Letterkenny, but they have a group called Hicks, and they're very similar. Now, down here, a Hick would be, um, like, my daddy's neighbor makes moonshine in his garage, and he, I mean, he's he's just like a regular redneck, but he kind of lives on the fringes of the law. That's a Hick. Okay, so they're they're the ones making white lightning and... Well, no one ever calls it white lining. It's just called shine. But yes. okay, I I had a friend from Kentucky and his grandma. See, this is where Kentucky. You don't know her. Um, yeah, we don't know Kentucky. We don't know. His grandma <laughs> made white lightning, and her deal was she sat on the porch every afternoon drinking white lightning. But so down there, they're it's just called shine. Yeah, you can call it shine. You can call it corn, whichever one. Because I mean, it's made out of corn. Okay. Um, but in South Carolina, moonshine's legal anyway, so you can make up to two gallons of personal use. Okay. So is it common that people do that? Yeah. I mean, my daddy's neighbor does it. My daddy used to do it. My granddaddy has always made it, and he's always also made wine, especially scuppinon wine, because scuppinon is, you know, indigenous to this area. I don't know what scuppinon is. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I mean, I've already decided that I'm going to send you, you know, a, a thank you card. So I'm going to need your uh, your P.O. box address or whatever. I'll send you some stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, is, so scuppinon's a plant? Well, scuppinon is actually a berry. Uh, it's, it's similar to a grape. It's got a large, um, thick shell around it that is, it, it's a fruity shell. It's probably the thickness of a... Uh, maybe a mandarin but it's very soft you squeeze it out and then there's seeds inside so you spit the seeds out actually 
I mean, it would be best whenever you eat one for the first time to watch somebody else eat it. It's a very specific technique. I mean, it's kind of one of the tests where if you had to determine whether or not someone was from here, you could just ask them to eat some scuffinons. And then you could tell. You um, could easily tell. <laughs> and maybe that falls into the category of um, tropical plants because it like... It blew my mind. My ex was Cajun, and so we went and stayed with some family friends in Lafayette, Louisiana, where he was from. Mm -hmm. And they just had um, grapes and bananas growing in their backyard garden along with everything else. And Mm -hmm. here in the desert, it's really hard to grow anything. My cactuses have died from too much sun. So, like, it's a very – so my mind was blown and just going, I'm sorry, you can grow – tropical plants here and they're like yeah we have the humidity (laughs) um and I just was like this is such a wonderland we were on our way moving to New York and I kind of I was very I didn't even want to leave Louisiana I was like I know I have a job waiting for me in New York but can we just stay here they they have grapes um (laughs) so um okay well and you know you can graft citrus trees together if you don't have enough space you can graft citrus trees together Yes, ma'am, you can. You can put a lemon tree and a lime tree together. All you do is take a big branch, you uh, you cut it off, you soak it in water overnight, and then you take the two, you cut a spot off of the larger tree, and then add the branch, and then you add supports to it, and it will graft together, and then that tree will grow both plants. Stop it. Oh, yeah. That's, That's insane. It's the best way so that you can double up on on produce on a smaller amount of land. Um, that is amazing. Um, okay, so oh, last thing. So rednecks. What would a redneck be? Oh, okay. So actually I come from a long line of distinguished rednecks. Um <sighs> both sides. Uh my my um well, <laughs> rednecks are, are the people that don't spend money on things that a lot of other people would spend money on. So my parents, I, I have, I will recognize the, um, the, the nice situation that I was born into. I was born upper, upper middle class. So my parents had AstroTurf on our front porch until I was 13, but we definitely had a Polaris parked in our yard. I don't know what a Polaris is. Oh, a Polaris is like an 18... Okay, if you can picture a four-wheeler had sex with a Jeep Wrangler... Okay. It's a Polaris. And is that for off-roading and hunting, or is that a road vehicle? It's for anything. I mean, in South Carolina, we're very much more relaxed on almost all laws. So, as long as you have somebody that's sitting there, kind of like sticking their hand out of the window for turn signals, you're fine. No one's going to pull you over and say this isn't a road certified vehicle. Well, my claim to fame is also that I've been pulled over 17 times and have gotten zero tickets. Um, Because everyone knew your family? Uh, no, mostly because I'm a white woman with an accent. Okay, and so they're like, you're fine. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I have given them... IDs to like business the businesses that I've worked for and stuff like that it's just it doesn't take much if you're not argumentative and you have an accent you can generally get away with it and now however if you're a person of color you're and you're pretty fucked you're fucked and because that you're just you're guilty yeah I mean you're done you're at least walking away with a ticket 
And then I probably wouldn't do so well because I'm an outsider. Oh yeah, if you if if you don't have the accent and especially out of state plates, you're, you're a target. Not. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have seen people get away with a lot of things just because we know you're from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big thing in in the southeast is having decals on your back window, uh, like the back window of your car. What type of decals? Monograms the most. Like, like your family name or like... No. So, okay. So if your initials are uh, ABC, mm-hmm. C being your last name, your monogram would be little A, big C, little B. Okay. That's how it would be displayed. That's And it has to be in a very uh, curly font uh-huh. and it has to be in the center back glass. And then it's like, oh, they're local. They know they know how it goes down here. Yeah, we're big on bows and freshwater pearls. Uh, Lily Pulitzer is probably the biggest moneymaker here. Um, What's that? Lily Pulitzer? Yeah. Oh, she's like Southern Couture. Okay, okay. It's like a clothing company. Yeah, yeah. Lily Pulitzer is a very, you know, established brand. If you're, we, people can tell if it's out of season here. Okay. So, so fashion is kind of a big thing, like regional fashion. Fashion is only kind of a big thing if it's, lo- if it is local. Okay. Um, Under Armour is made in South Carolina. So a lot of people wear Under Armour here. Okay. Um, a lot, do a lot of people, uh, work in, does the, does Under Armour employ a lot of people? Like, is that the economy in a certain city? Uh, well, of course, well, I, I think the biggest economy, um, boosters here would be Michelin. Okay. The tire, uh, they have two massive plants here. BMWs are made in the upstate here. Really? Um, yeah, they're not Bavarian. <laughs> that is very interesting because um, as we're having less American cars made in America, it's interesting that BMW is made here. BMW is made in South Carolina. Yes, ma'am. Huh. And, of course, we have Coke and Pepsi. Now, Coke was made in Atlanta, and Pepsi was made in New Bern, North Carolina. So you're one or the other. Um, do you have a preference, or are you anti-soda? Oh, Coke all the way. Okay. <laughs> Coke all the way. People who pretty much whenever New Bern had the Pepsi plant, it's pretty much exclusively North Carolinians. And North Carolinians and South Carolinians hate to be misinterpreted for each other. They're they're very different, aren't they? Very different. I mean, we enjoy a lot of their food. Cookout, Bojangles, delicious. Mm -hmm. But we're not the same. Because South Carolina has most of the tourist destinations as far as... Um, like Charleston is the number one wedding destination spot. Uh, and of course, you know, we have Fort Sumter there, which is a key to the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and history is a big thing down here, which is kind of like a, a weird topic to talk about in today's climate. (laughs) Well, people are very weird about history, um, where they don't want to talk about things or acknowledge them. And you're like, you know, there's the, the old trope of like, you know, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it or whatever. But I'm just right. like, can we just like 
one of the spirits of this show is like if it's mentionable it's manageable and like not talking about something doesn't make it go away and so I just I hate any sort of um feeling where it's like this is something that just shouldn't be talked about and you're like but it's a it's a problem um and also like um like the racial tensions in the United States and in the South are a direct result of our history and like not talking about it doesn't make it not exist. Um, You know, I just, if you, if you have like, if you have a rat in your kitchen, like just leaving the kitchen doesn't make the rat go away. It's just like, they're like, you gotta, you gotta address the elephant in the room and a bunch of other uh, nonsensical sayings. But um, when they, and it, oh, and it, and it, honestly well the way that uh we're portrayed is that you know i mean i think that they did a really good job like whenever dylan roof was a fuck face and went and you know shot a church i think that we reacted well Mm -hmm. i was very happy with us i mean it was kind of one of those thanks guys you did it you did a good job one time Mm -hmm. um but I, you know, I can, as growing up in the low country as a kid and then moving to the Midlands and then I wanted to go to school in the upstate and I ended up going to USC and Columbia instead. Uh, but in the upstate, that is our most progressive area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I have a lot of friends who after high school, you know, they came out as, as being gay or, you know, a lesbian. I, I went to school with two transgendered kids who didn't transition till well after high school because they needed to remove themselves. And most of them go to the upstate or they go near Charlotte or Atlanta because Charlotte is the most progressive city in the Southeast aside from going to Florida, but Florida, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, also n- number one, if you are, different it's always like yeah you need to get away and move to a more progressive city but also I feel like sometimes it's hard to change who you are when you're stuck with people who know you from the past and so it's like it's you gotta get away from your family sometimes to blossom because or or old friends or whatever because they want to hold you to like who you used to be and it's like well you 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 quote unquote used to be straight or you used to be male or whatever and you're just like okay but like not really and now I'm not so can you please let me grow as a person um and I just like from my like minor life changes that I've made where I couldn't hang out with any of my drinking friends anymore because like all they did was say oh you you used to be so much more fun or this or that or I wish you still drank and I'm like yeah but I'm like trying to become like a newer version of myself so can you please like let me let me out um I don't know it's weird but this that was an aside but like yeah if you're from some small town that like doesn't want you to be gay or trans like any way you can get out is the best. Well, my um, my cousin lives in Alabama, and Alabama is kind of known as being one of the Alabama and Mississippi. I would say tie is the most two racist states down here. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as South Carolina is concerned, in the Low Country, whenever you drive down there, it's like walking back to the fifties and sixties. And in some ways that's good as far as customs are nicer. You don't have any cell phone service. You have to talk to people to their face. I'm not a very, uh, 
technically adapt person. I mean, I, I went and got a degree in art, so I clearly know how to do, you know, Adobe products. Mm-hmm. But as far as sticking with my phone and stuff, that's not something that I would do. And so going down there is nice. However, I remember I was born in 94 and I remember at three and four going down the road to my friend's house who still had a live in maid who was a black woman who lived on the premises who just woke up every day at sunrise, worked for that family. And, and that was, I mean, it was, I remember that. And that was the nineties. Yeah. That still is very common in the South where like these families are intertwined. They've been working for each other for generations and these black women have raised the white children of the family and they like, remain close their whole life and that was the interesting thing about the book that I read where it was like these families are like super close they go to each other's like funerals they Mm -hmm. you know their lives are so intertwined but they won't sit at the same table for dinner um because that's still frowned upon and it's it's very interesting because the author was saying in some ways I see black people and white people getting along and interacting and taking care of each other more than I was seeing in New York. But then they also are not going to go. Some of them like still won't have black people go through the front door or they aren't comfortable sitting at the same table. And you're just like, it's a weird time capsule of where race relations, um, I think people who, who are in bigger cities or Northern cities can't even like picture that that is still, the way life exists for a lot of people in this country because it's like they think oh well the civil war happened and you know um and now that's done or whatever or we had the civil rights movement and now that's done and then you're like no it's like there's these weird shadows of the past that are still existing in pockets of america um yeah i didn't even really know that that was much of an issue until i got to high uh got to college and i was rooming with a girl who was from new jersey and of course she couldn't go to her home for christmas so she came home with me to mine and we were talking about uh this woman who used to help take care of me my parents didn't hire her but she worked for the family near us and miss catherine And Miss Catherine had recently passed and we were talking about it. And I told her about the relationship that I had with Miss Catherine. And as soon as as she found out that this woman was the house servant, it was, I had never seen someone react like that before. And it really had to put a lot of things in perspective for me. And for the longest time, I was very upset with how I had, you know, actively participated, I guess, in, you know, in, in this action until I visited an ex-boyfriend's grandmama who lived in Florida and she was from the North and this snowbird was very on board with the idea. And that kind of, that also changed my opinion where you're like, wait a minute. This um, woman is from Philly and she does, she is agreeing with this. I there well there are there are people who are like aggressively liberal um and they have these ideologies but they also or they claim to be aggressively liberal but like they don't have any black people in their life or interact with black people in any sort of way and so to them it's like this 
you know and then next thing you know their daughter brings home a black boyfriend and they panic even though they thought that they were so progressive because there's just these these hidden racisms that people have um that maybe in certain cities they just aren't forced to confront I mean if you live in Orange County you don't even have to think about whether or not you're racist or not because like there aren't any black people like and so you can be like oh no I'm super liberal yeah I definitely knew a girl that I went to school with uh she actually transferred to my high school and I found out later on that the reason she had to transfer to it was because the school she went to, her parents found out that she was dating a black boy and they made her transfer. Oh, my goodness. It's See, that's like it's weird, right? Because um, my so my aunt was born in 1945. So when she was 16, she had a driver's license and her parents found out that she was using the car. She was going to the car wash all the time because she liked the black guys that worked there. And then they took away her rights to drive the family car. And so that was in, I'll do some math, but that was in, let's say, 1960. And so then you're like, okay, we haven't made a lot of progress in 60 years. No. Not one bit. Well, well I was, whenever I was talking to my mama about this, uh, you know, I was, I was trying to hint around to things that I might want to talk about. And it made me realize, and it's always been this way, that um, we live about a decade behind Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the West Coast and the Northeast. Uh, The only thing that's changed is really the the Gen Zers, the ones that are most recent. They are pretty much the only people that I know of that have been able to circumnavigate the slow you know tedious gears of society for change just because they have immediate access to all information all the time yeah they're growing up in a global culture now instead of as we grew up in a regional culture and so it's just different like I think that young people are less a product of their surroundings and they're more a product of the degree to which they have access to the internet um, and so th- it's not their culture isn't as regional as it used to be, um, which, you know, in some ways is good. In some ways it's bad because, you know, there there are those people who pine for the good old days because there is something to be said for Southern manners, Southern hospitality, um, a more right. of a sense of neighborhood kinship that is lost because now the attitude is less I need to help this person who is in need of help because they're right in front of me and the attitude is somebody should do something about that and then you go on with your your life um but in the south I feel like people still have a sense of um I don't know neighborly caring and concern well exactly that is exactly what I wanted to get to because um I, I, I was in a very long-term relationship and I thought that I would end up being with that person that didn't work out. So I had to go back to the dating field. And as I was raised without a cell phone, um, that, you know, men would ask you out to your face, come and pick you up. And then you would go on a date and then that would happen a few times. Mm-hmm. And then I had to join social media dating. Oh God. And I had no clue what the hell was supposed to happen. Um, my sisters were on it. They explained it to me. And the entire time I'm thinking, 
this isn't, you no, know, I mean, especially if you're going to expect me to do the work. I mean, the way that Southern culture is set up is the idea that women put in all the effort before the date by getting ready for the date and by preparing everything that is going to happen afterwards. Like, we are the deciders in that custom. Mm -hmm. So... Men spend money, yes, by driving, picking us up, and taking us on a date. We're not requiring that to be any sort of, you know, economic investment. It just has to be something. And then we decide whether or not we are continuing to date. It, I battled with this so much as a child because I was an early feminist of, you know, we're going to do Dutch and, you know, I'll meet you at where we're going on a date. I want to be in control of what's happening to me and all of this kind of other stuff. And it worked out really well for the time and I needed it for personal growth. However, now that I've gotten older, I find a lot of use in being able to see that it's not being handed to us. It's just, if I'm being courteous, I should expect courtesy back. Well, that's I had a similar dating trajectory and I'm very old fashioned in the way that I date where I do I like to be asked out in person and sometimes if there's someone I interact with casually or whatever um and I can tell there's a flirtation I have in the past said, "Hey, here's my phone number. You call me if you want to go on a date sometime." Like and that backfired several times where it made the person uncomfortable because no one's that direct anymore because the usual thing is like you follow each other on social media and then you like each other's pictures a little bit and then you chat and it just takes like months and months and months and months and months until you then quote unquote hang out and like I'm just not that type of person I'm a no what's hanging out I can hang out with anybody that's not a date (laughs) exactly like if we have a rapport let's go on a proper date and see where things go I there's a there's the the guardedness of this slow buildup of like following each other and liking things back and forth it all comes out of a fear of rejection instead of just being like let's just find out yes or no you want to go on a date yes or no do we like each other at the end of it yes or no and I like the buildup to it where it's like I don't like you know, got younger men will t- send a text and say, what are you doing right now? Go fuck yourself with that. Like, how about we make plans for a future date and time and I'll spend the week leading up to it picking out an outfit and getting my nails done and like tidying my house so it looks perfect when you come pick me up because you will be driving. Like, that's what I like to do because number one, I'm a planner. Number two, I think it has an element of respect for someone's time to say, not like, sup, what you doing? What you doing right now? No, let's make plans. Like, and let's go through this ritual, which is exciting, right? Because there's anticipation and there's a buildup and it respects that I as a woman need time to like make myself attractive to go out on a date and do an activity. Um, And that's not how modern dating usually works. And it's a bummer. Yeah. One of my sisters uh, went and got her MRS degree. And so she's she got to do the whole, oh, MRS degree is something that we call people that, women that go to college solely to get married. Oh, okay. Okay. I was real. I was like, my gears were grinding trying to quickly finish, figure that out. So, okay. 
Now I get yeah, it. She I went, understand. She went for a bachelor's of science and got an MRS instead. Gotcha. Gotcha. So and she, she's younger than me. <laughs> so she met a boy at college and that's and she married no, him. No, she met this boy in Sunday school. Stop it. Oh, oh, I thought that you might enjoy this because I've, you know, as I've been listening to your podcast, I know that you love the idea of this Laura Engel <laughs> down home country business. Uh, I mean, a, a little it, bit. And I thought that I might just share a little bit of personal info with you. All um, right. So I have two sisters that are twins and they're smoking. <laughs> Um, well, my young, the youngest, uh, she, her, her name is Jessie and my, uh, the other is Jenny. So Jenny and Jessie, um, and Jessie met this boy that is my age named Forrest, uh, because we would always make jokes that Forrest should date my sister, Jenny. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, that's the reason I told you their names. Um, Jessie. And Forrest met in Sunday school. They're three and a half years apart. When my sister was 14 years, no, 15 years old, he was 18 and a half. And my daddy allowed this boy to date my sister because he was a pastor's grandson. Stop it. And my sister and, oh, they went and took a purity pledge. Um. <laughs> I just, first of all, I want to back up. This goes back to your you saying that being white trash is genetic and so, like, in this instance, he's a pastor's grandson. So he's good. He's good yes, people. Yes, it, it's, it's solely about your family. Because whenever I got dropped off at my friend's house, my parents would look me in the face and say, mind your manners, mind your business. And then I'd get out of the car. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's good advice kind of for everyone. Oh, exactly. I tell it to myself when I go places. Mind your manners, um, mind your business. I'll pull down the rear view mirror and look myself in the eye and just say, mind your manners, mind your business and go inside. <laughs> I just need to give myself a pep talk to keep you, keep it to yourself. Um, but they're marrying each other. And of course we, I, we all went to Baptist Sunday school, BBS, the whole works. Oh yeah. I, that was my childhood. Oh, I know. <laughs> Whenever you said that you grew up Southern Baptist, I was like, Oh, Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it doesn't leave you a lot of time for other habits. But fortunately, if you go to the right Southern Baptist Church, you don't, you don't need any other hobbies because they'll, they'll have something going on seven nights a week for you. Um, well, see, we didn't. We were, um, we were the most traditional of the Southern Baptist where you do whatever you want to all weekend, get shitty drunk on Saturday and show up Sunday and shake everybody's hand. Oh, that's more fun. That's a lot. Well, listen, that's I what most people do around here. I had a lot of fun at church, mostly because I was in the Hands for God puppet ministry, and that it was, like, serious. We had seminars and stuff. That was a very serious puppet troupe, and I loved that. Um, and then I ran, like, the daycare, and we had our uh, Wednesday night supper. So, like, we had a good time, but I didn't see anyone drinking until I was, like, 15, um, and it was shocking to me. Um, so oh, my daddy's always drank beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's almost necessary as a parent. I say that as someone who's not going to be one, but I feel like you need something. Uh, I have a friend who, when she became a mom, she started 
uh, having a shower beer because it's the only time she has quiet time. So she. Oh, that's a fraternity thing down here. Shower. Well, it was my thing. I used to work construction, and so that's what you know. When you get off, you're like, I don't know if I need a beer or a shower more. So you do it at the same time, and it is like super refreshing if you've done some hard work. But um, it's you'd be shocked how many people haven't heard about a shower beer, and I just I just try it out. I, My husband to be has a shower beer five out of the seven days. <laughs> um, oh, I can't wait till we work our way up to that. Um, um, oh, oh, but so Sunday yeah, so school. My sister- my sister, um, so she's getting married. She's getting married uh, three months after me. But since she's getting married by a Baptist pastor to a Baptist pastor's grandson, um, there will be no dancing because, of course, in the Baptist tradition, dancing is having sex standing up. And there will be no drinking. There's, okay, I didn't. I didn't grow up in a no dancing Baptist church. I mean, there wasn't a lot of dancing because these were Caucasians, but it w- they were okay with it, I think. Um, but this is like, she's like serious Baptist. Dancing is having sex standing up. Well, see, my, they dance, but there's no dancing in the church. There's okay. no dancing. Like, it's it's none of that. Like, they don't even call it Halloween. They call it Autumn Festival or Harvest Festival or whatever. You know, like, they're, they're very serious because they are in the woods. And so their members are all the members they're going to get. Yeah, that I guess, and you got it. You got to take it. Also, the devil is everywhere, so you got it. You can't give him any cracks to get in through, I guess, so you can't be dancing. Um, well, she, I, I, well, she thought that my sisters and my my other sister and I were immediately going to hell as soon as we got our first tattoo. Oh, because you're defiling your body, and your body's a temple. Yeah, <laughs> that's I. It's an exhaust. It's I don't like to um, poo poo anyone's belief system, but definitely because that's how I grew up. Where my parents caught me watching MTV The Grind, the workout show, and they panicked because it was pornography. Like, oh my gosh, mine was true life. <laughs> oh, and they're just like, this is the devil. Like, and I just was like, it's gotta be exhausting to have that level of hysteria all the time. Like, you're trying to raise kids and have a job and pay I your mean, mortgage, well, and you're I remember- all. You're worried about the second coming. It's too much. I told my parents that I, uh, just recently, I told my mom that whenever she went to sleep, I used to uh, record on my VHS tapes, Degrassi, the next generation in the middle of the night so I could watch it (laughs) later on because she wouldn't let me watch it. Oh my gosh. But so you were like, you had to do it covert and it's a very good show. So that's good that you did that. I'm a great person to keep secrets. (laughs) Because you had to go on all these covert missions when you were younger. Oh, right. I mean, all the all the debauchery. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah. So I have I did bring one statistic. I did look up one statistic. OK, <laughs> for your for your podcast. Um, so, of course, down here, if your parents are not married, it's assumed that one of the spouses died. No one will ever ask if you got a divorce because it's considered just the worst thing that you could possibly do. Oh, okay. Wait. But, so, huh? so if you're okay, if you're a single mom and you move into the area, um, people won't ask anything about the husband because they just assume you're a widow. They will assume you're a widow unless they see another man coming around. And if they see another man coming around, 
they're going to assume that you just have this like fling boyfriend thing. If a man and a woman are living together and they are not married, people will ask you, when are you getting married? And if you say you're not, you're living in sin and people will talk about it. I mean, I consider it to be honeymooning without a license. That's what Eddie Blackman says. He he would always, uh, you know, go, oh, Sydney, you honeymooning without a license. And I was like, fuck yeah, I am. Well, like right now I have to go through marriage counseling, like before they'll marry you. And one of the questions is, is like, do you live together? And we said yes. And they asked us how long. And we said two years. And there was a good pregnant pause for about 30 seconds. Oh my, because that's a, that's a long time in their opinion. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of women who, um, just have to outright refuse moving in or their parents won't help them pay for the wedding. No. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to maintain your level of purity. My wedding dress is champagne colored and I had people comment and say, well, you can't wear white. Um, did you choose a champagne colored wedding dress for that reason? I did. Okay. I'm very pale in comparison. So white makes me look washed out. So you were like, I look good in this. And also, yeah. I guess I'm not allowed to wear white. Um, that was the comments after I bought it and okay. like had it, you know, sent to me. And then I put it on and I had an aunt tell me, well, you can't wear white. Was it, um, oh, I'll let you finish your statistic before I derail you with questions. So what was the statistic? Oh, I was going to say, um, even though we look down on, you know, people who don't live in nuclear families, uh, overall in the state of South Carolina, 39% of families are single parent households. Which is huge. I don't That's know. How, a lot. <laughs> I don't know how that compares to the national average, um, cause it's pretty high right now. Um, well, I do know that it's ours is by county, and our counties range from 26 to 69%. Okay. So there are some counties that are as low as 26%. Okay. Um, okay, so does your sister live with her fiancé, or are they waiting till after the wedding to move in together? They have actually moved in together now for about a month. However, his mother refuses to acknowledge that my sister lives there. That's amazing. It's like when they, uh, you know, like people will refer to their their uh, gay child's partner as their roommate. Yeah. Well, whenever she whenever she comes over and my sister's sitting on the couch or something, she goes, oh, you're here visiting Forrest. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. That is like a wonderful sense of denial. And whatever, I guess, whatever it takes to maintain your rosy image of your child. Um, How did people react when you and your fiance moved in together? Were you, did you tell people you were engaged? Were you engaged? We were not engaged. Um, However, I have known uh, my fiance since we were eight years old. Holy cow. Um, (laughs) But we have not been together, but two and a half years. Okay. Um, uh, he went to the boot line and I went to college. What's the boot line? Oh, the military. Oh, okay. Okay. So he went after high school, he went into the military, you went to college and then you kind of reconnected after that. Um, I graduated, um, and then I was in grad school and he had just gotten back from Afghanistan and, I met up with him one evening and he wasn't right. So I put a pin in that one and came back a year later. Okay. 
because he was just fresh back home. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that he's a he's a a CEO, so he's used to telling people what to do, and he started acting like he was going to tell people what to do. So I had to cut that one pretty short, pretty fast. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're not gonna you're you're kind of a rebellious spirit in terms of the South, and you're not going to be told what to do. Yeah, well, I mean, he he went away. We had a hurricane that they that he had to go to do for about two months or whatever and whenever he came back he came in and he said something to me and I just looked at him and told him I'd snatch a knot in his ass if he talked to me like that one more time and it's been done that's so he listened you didn't have to tell him twice yeah well I mean we we had this discussion the other day because we plan on having kids because we're in our mid-20s now and uh and you know, we were talking about how difficult it's going to be to be able to raise kids in a world where weapons are considered child abuse mm-hmm. and weapons here are considered regular discipline. Yeah, uh, some school districts, the teachers are not only allowed to, but encouraged to uh, practice corporal punishment. Because um, I've read about like some wars that people have had with the school board where school boards have like outlawed um corporal punishment and the parents are like no you need to you need to whoop our kids keep them in line and so it's it's a uh, controversial we had a woman here and i'm not sure if it was south carolina or if it was georgia but she sued um well not sued she uh she got caught by dss because she was whipping her kids and the teacher said it was child abuse so a lot of people around here that with their kids are just, you know, they can't, you can't whip them in Walmart anymore. You can't whip them at the park. You can't whip them in the back of the McDonald's. Yeah. You got to do it at home. Yeah. You got to be in, in the private area. And the problem is, is that whenever your kid's screaming in public, you need to cut their ass right there. I, I believe that I've never raised children, but I also like, because I'm really good at training dogs, I understand that when you're tr- when you're in charge of someone else and you're the authority figure you need to speak to them in terms that they understand and communicate to them in terms that they understand what the expectations of what your expectations are of their behavior and communicate to them in terms that they understand when their behavior is inappropriate and I cannot stand it drives me fucking bananas when parents are trying to use logic and reasoning and have a conversation with a fucking three-year-old where I'm like your your kid has no idea what the fuck you're talking about like I don't know why I it's it drives me fucking nuts it drives me fucking nuts it just really does (laughs) especially I work in I work in the restaurant industry and you know, people will be turning to their two-year-old, what do you want? What? And the kid's, like, actively shitting their pants. I'm like, you tell the kid what they want. They are not equipped yet to decide what they're going to eat. They're fucking two. And I have to stand here for ten minutes while you try to pull a restaurant order out of a two-year-old. I'm furious. I'm fucking furious. Um, yeah, I'm also furious if I'm at Target and there are kids running around screaming, crying, bumping into my legs. And I'm like, I don't know you and I don't know why your parent has decided that this is how you behave. Because I don't know. But I also know a lot of people who let their dog shit and piss all over their house. And I'm like, you know yeah. that you can fix that. Uh, anyways. Well- we, I mean, like, whenever, it, it's it's always a mixed bag whenever you go out in public now, just because, 
I mean, as I was talking about earlier with, you know, the new generation of people, and of course, people are traveling much more than they used to because travels become more affordable. Um, so you have, you know, I see people all the time that are just down here as tourists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they're always, it's always a strange feeling because I know that if I act out in front of people around here, I know what to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody will tell me, you know, hey, that's, don't do that. You know, that, that's not all right. You need to, re, you know, reevaluate what you're doing here. But as far as, uh, you know, out of town people, it's, it's, a, it's really hard to explain to people that, no, I mean, we have a worse sense of humor than what is considered politically correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, we try. But I mean, it, it's ingrained in us, and we just don't have the the political police on us, whereas other people in the country do, because we just don't have our phones in front of our face as much as other people. There's there's a lot of stuff that like it. People younger than me who have grew up grown up with the digital culture have adapted to you more easily and there's things like I get scared to say a lot of things because I'm super worried doing this podcast there have been topics that have been suggested and I'm like I'm scared to talk about that because I'm scared that I'll say something wrong and then all cancel culture will come at me and like it kind of sucks in a way because I feel like people should be comfortable to speak their mind and say their opinion. And then if someone disagrees, they can kind of come back and say, oh, I I just believe in having comfortable open dialogues amongst people with differing opinions. And it's not how things are now. And so like I get, you know, scared like, oh, did I said prostitute and not sex worker or like. You know, I'm oh, just, I understand. I'm tr- I'm I and and because I'm trying to grow a a quote unquote like brand and be successful in this, I get scared about stuff sometimes because I'm like I'm coming from my cultural perspective, and then there's people who like they've never not had access to like discussion forums on the internet, and they to them these things about like I don't know like pronouns or whatever like it's commonplace. It it's it's they've grown up with that and like I haven't and I get super scared that I'm going to say something that's going to be like oh well you know you just said a a statement that it makes it very clear that you the patriarchy has ingrained sexism in your opinion and I'm just like I don't I don't know man I'm scared (laughs) uh so yeah it's weird um I mean I know one of the biggest complaints that we have down here is sports have gotten softer Okay. Me- um, what is like meaning that they're they're not okay, as so, hard physically or Okay, so in South Carolina we have no professional teams. We're one of the few states in the country that have no professional teams. We are only collegiate. Okay. So the big thing about the difference between collegiate sports and professional sports is that collegiate players are more willing to injure themselves at a chance to go professional whereas professional players have constantly been downgraded into tapping each other or you know tagging it's essentially tag football versus tackle Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so down here we complain all the time while watching professional sports like what are you doing you know just hit them yeah uh 
because we live in a more violent culture, whereas now the world is shifting to complete nonviolence because in utopia, we don't fight. However, realism is a big thing down here and expectations of masculinity is a frequent discussion because a lot of people want to talk about toxic masculinity and we basically are bathing in it down Mm -hmm. here if you want to use it as the way that it is currently described. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I, I had a falling out with my brother because I, I suspect he's an incel and he decided to project all of these opinions and politics that he feels persecuted by onto me. And a lot of the things he was saying, like, you believe this and you believe that. I'm like, first of all, I don't. I don't know where you're getting that from. Um, But one of the things he was like, you know, telling me that like bitches like me are the reason why like men are persecuted and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, first of all, I've never talked to you about this subject. Second of all, I very much appreciate masculinity. Like I because like I because number one, I appreciate differences in others. But like also there's like a, a fascination to me about masculinity because like I am not that and so, like, I I kind of salute it in a way. Um, and the, it's there is a difference between being like, I don't like toxic masculinity and then hating masculinity in any form. Um, but the, the interesting thing, uh, sorry, I'm like being a Sydney DeLorean and like not quite getting to my point I have to like circle around it a million times (laughs) but like so in terms of like the violence of sports and the violence of the south like in the south everyone hunts and where I'm from I live in Arizona is a red state but Phoenix is a a blue um, city and so I deal with so many people on a regular basis talking shit about like hunters and hunting and whatever and they all eat factory farm meats right they're just disconnected from the means of production and you're like dude I like for me I'm so okay with hunting like it needs to happen because people don't hunt anymore there's a serious deer issue in the United States like hunting does need to happen it to control wildlife and also to keep people safe and You can sit in your fucking high-rise apartment all you want and say, oh, it's so gross that these men go out there and they kill animals. And it's like, well, yeah, but you haven't looked at a gator staring down your dog and it's it's the fucking gator or your dog. Or you haven't lived in a food desert where you either kill a deer or you starve to death or, you know, Lyme disease is spreading everywhere because no one wants to kill and eat deer. But like you're eating meat that's coming out of these horrible factory farms. And it's one of those things that people kind of pile into the category of like, this is a terrible, like aggressive masculinity. How could people do these things? And you're like, well, somebody has to fucking do it. <laughs> like, I well, don't see, know. Okay. So I definitely want to, want to send you one of the stickers that are very common around here. Almost every truck has one. Uh, we we all have a sticker that says "Don't talk about farmers with your mouth full." Oh, I like that so much. Um, it's it's a very common because of course we're an agriculturally based society. Uh, but whenever you talk about hunting, whenever I grew up on the hunting reservation, the closest store to us was fifty miles away. So we grew all of our food. I know I've been canning food since I was four or five years old. And my daddy and I hunted to feed us. Mm -hmm. There was no other way we would eat. Uh, My very first hunt was when I was three. My daddy took me on a frog gig. 
and then after that it was a coon hunt and then after that it was a deer hunt um this see this is fascinating to me the sort of rural relationship that people have to have with food because the store is 50 miles away um I go to Sprouts every single morning. I don't keep food in my house because I'm a binge eater. And so like I'll buy a week's worth of groceries and I eat it all that day. So I go to the grocery store every morning. And in all my fantasies of moving, uh, Zach and I are looking at houses in Georgia, but like in all my fantasies of moving to the South, it's something that I have to think about because I would have to learn how to plan my meals like because you need to be able to garden and can and if you're gonna even if you aren't going to create your own food sources like you're gonna need to be able to plan out your meals because you can't do what I do now which is go to the store every day and I don't I don't have those life skills and I hate um it was like a year ago when I was talking about this on the podcast that I hate when people disparage people for being backwoods or redneck or whatever and they stereotype them as dumb where I'm like I'm sorry do you know how to level land or drill a well or farm (laughs) or hunt because if we had some sort of societal collapse you're you're gonna die like you don't have and like how can you call someone dumb who can do those things because those are difficult things that like you you would fucking starve to death if you if you were you know detached from this sort of city center grid that you're part of we have a saying about that uh it's called well essentially if somebody tries to downplay you just say i may have been born in the dark but it wasn't last night oh i like see the oh my god the language of the south is poetry it's why I it's why I read so many southern novels and I watch so many southern um, movies because there's a what's your favorite southern movie um well I in recent memory my favorite thing that I've seen recently was the third season of True Detective and I could watch that season again and again and again a lot of people say the first season was the best season, but I kind of feel like season three was better. Um, but just the the way they used words and language, it's like, I don't know, whatever feeling people get from ASMR where they say it gives them like um like a good feeling internal hum. That's almost how I feel with um, Southern language. Like it's, there's a poetry to it that really soothes me. Um, and now because I'm on the spot, I'm trying to, I can't think of like what my other, I mean, we all know I love Gone with the Wind. Well, I can, I can give you a few options. I can give you some suggestions. Yeah. Give me a watch list. Okay. So Steel Magnolias. Oh, well, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Of the course. traditional. Now the best thing about Steel Magnolias is our beloved Dolly Parton is the only one in that movie with an actual accent. And it's very glaringly obvious to us, but it's near and dear to our heart because it has Dolly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you listen to the other actors in that movie, is it obvious? You can tell. Like Julia Roberts, not great. Um, the worst Southern accent in the best movie I've ever seen is Jodie Foster as Clarice Starlin in in Silence of the Lambs. That accent makes me want to punch her in the mouth every time she talks. It's it's a clenched jawed accent. It's almost like what is that disease you get if she you get... sounds like she's from she's from Arkansas. Oh, okay. I, to me, it sounds like um, what is it that you get if you get cut by a rusty nail or can? Um, oh yeah, uh, tetanus. Yeah, she sounds like she has some tetanus lockjaw going on in that movie. Um, Fun fact: since I was born on a reservation, my shot record ends in ninety-eight. 
What does that mean? Uh, well, because down here, technically, you're supposed to have shots to go to certain schools, but since I was in the low country and not accessible to a doctor, 1998 is the last time I had a shot. Oh, really? So you didn't have to get your MMR before going to university? Well, your MMR you have before you're you're three years old. I had to get, like, a booster before going to ASU, and I was like... Oh, yeah, fuck the booster. Yeah. I, I didn't get any of that. No, I, um... My family, my daddy's family immigrated to the U.S. in 1904, so I'm, like, very Nordic, and for some reason, I just don't get sick. Where, so where is his family from? Uh, my dad's family is from a South Island in Norway. Okay. Um, and my mama's family is Blackfoot Cherokee from the foothills of Tennessee. Okay. Um, and so you have a hearty immune system. Also, when you grow up more rural, you aren't on broad spectrum antibiotics every month. Um, which yeah. Is... Well, I mean, we ate dirt. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I had a ringworm at four. <laughs> it's good for you from time to time. Hookworm's bad oh, yeah. for you, but ringworms it can be good. Um... Oh, so I have some more movies for you. Uh, okay. The Help, of course, is good. Fried Green Tomatoes is a must. Yes, that one I haven't seen in a long time, but I have seen it a couple times. Who can forget? That's the one with Kathy Bates in her little um, saran wrap outfit, right? Uh, fried green tomatoes? Yeah, whenever she's knocking down walls to Wanda. Yes. She hits that girl's car and she says, face it, girls, I'm older and I've got better insurance. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sweet Home Alabama, Forrest Gump, and Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, okay. You know what? Those ones I all have seen within the past year. I They do these like old movie showings um, mm-hmm. at the theater that I go to with my mom and we saw Smokey and the Bandit uh, and it was great to see it in the theater. Um, my daddy used to quote it to us in the morning. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, my daddy, uh, we kind of like went against the grain. My mama didn't do all the cooking my parents took turns um which is very progressive for the time I was growing up did your mom Uh, work or was she a homemaker yes ma'am my mama has always worked and was that unusual um it was especially since my mama had twins uh I never went to a daycare uh but my sisters did go to a daycare and they only went for a year and then that stopped. But a lot of people down here, daycares are considered to be if your family doesn't love you. Oh, geez. So, and because if your grandparents, you know, like if your parents aren't willing to take care of your baby while you're at work or somebody in your family, that mm-hmm. means that your family just doesn't love you. I mean, it definitely means that you don't, you're either, or your family isn't around, uh, just, well, that's is it. Well, I, I was meaning as as far as like what other people would think because if I mean we have mothers of course that have moved from away and they don't have any family near them and they send their baby to daycare and stuff like that. But in that case, everybody in the community, in Southern tradition, the community takes care of you as long as you have done all of your own due diligence. As soon as they find out that you didn't do your due diligence, the help goes away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but. I mean, honestly, and that's one of those things, um, I'm not saying that daycare should be looked down upon, but it, the, I, the idea, I, the ideal would be, I always like, if you are going to have kids to live very close to the grandparents, because they aren't joking when they say it takes a village. And I have friends who have children and they've moved out here from the Midwest. So grandparents aren't around and 
they're a two-income household because you have to be these days, but then $1,200 a month of their income goes to daycare because the grandparents aren't around. And like, it is like, I mean, when $1, I- $1,200 a month. Yeah, that's how much my friends pay for daycare for their kids. Oh, no. Daycare down here is $400 a month. <laughs> that is much. So, okay, either either live near the grandparents if you're going to have kids or move to the South because, yeah, I just, I I hear that and I go, that's, so it's, it's you have a two-income household, but then 25% of your monthly income is going towards daycare and it's, right. it's just, in, it's insane. Um, well, see the a lot of the a lot of the aversion from daycares down here comes from we just constantly have news articles of daycare employees abusing or neglecting children. So I mean, and it's and it, they're all around you, or you hear it from other people that you know that you know that have sent their kids there before, and then all of a sudden they find out that that daycare worker isn't feeding the kids lunch and not changing the kids diapers and all this kind of other stuff oh um, good I, lord yeah it's that's scary it, it i mean it's terrifying so i mean most of the time whenever you hear somebody say oh my well my kid goes to the daycare immediately everybody's a little concerned because they're kind of afraid for the kid yeah and they're just like oh god i'm sorry that it came to that right well and then of course if you're a single mom single moms are kind of a a hodgepodge response uh if you um i personally don't fuck with the war however i'm marrying a military person Mm -hmm. uh and it it and the way this ties in is because of social interaction so no matter what happens if if my husband-to-be or whatever gets into an argument all of a sudden if somebody finds out that he is military he is now exempt from all problems. Okay. Because that's how it's viewed down here. I mean, we have the Citadel in this state. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, yeah, you it kind of gives you a, a status in a way. Yeah, it's a pass. It's a free mm-hmm. pass. Mm-hmm. And with single moms, if, her, if the reason she's a single mom is because her husband died, she is now exempt from all fault. If she is a single mom because her husband is being deployed, she is free of all fault. If her husband left her for somebody else, she is at no fault. However, if it's a divorce, she is completely at fault. So, like, if she divorces a guy because he drank too much and he would hit her, it's kind of like, well, why didn't you try harder to make it work? Yes. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you do everything you had to do? Or why didn't you do this for the kids? If a woman leaves a man for any reason, the people that live around them, especially older ones, will then immediately shuffle blame to her. The only way they will not is the reasons listed before. Yeah. So you just got to hope your husband dies, I guess. Oh, I know tons of women who have, I mean... to be quite honest, I know women that are in their 70s that have killed their husbands. Yeah, I get it, girl. They have, I mean, either poisoned them, accidentally, quote unquote, shot them, all kinds of stuff. Because, I mean, they got, they were beaten constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, spousal abuse didn't become legally on the books until the early 70s. Uh, yeah, that was the, that was a crazy thing about uh, when Shu and I did that episode about divorce, where it just was like, in most of human history, there's nothing your husband could do to you where you could be granted a divorce, um, at let alone like without 
you know, that was like legally, let alone without like the social repercussions. Um, and so you just kind of hope, okay, he dies or he drinks himself to death or, you know, you do a little light poisoning. Right. Well, and if you're, and if you're the husband in the case, then you are automatically not going to get custody. The only way you can get custody is if she is in jail. And even then those cases, sometimes they give the custody to the grandparents. And then if you have divorced your wife, we have permanent alimony in this state. Permanent? Even if the woman remarries? That's the only way that permanent alimony can be taken away. The only two ways that permanent alimony can be stricken is if she remarries or if um, if he spends 24 hours inside that house with her. That would be reestablishing a relationship and she he no longer has to agree to permanent alimony. But then what after the 24 hours he leaves but he doesn't have to pay alimony anymore? Well, no, he would have to take pictures, present it to a judge, and then the judge would have to overrule it. But that's the only way. You have to, she would have to harbor you for 24 hours, or she would have to remarry. So I know women who have permanent alimony right now that just have live-in boyfriends so they can get their alimony checks. Stop it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, a lot of these women, you know, they, in this culture, up until about, 10, 15, late 80s, women did not work Mm -hmm. in the house. They didn't. I mean, you, if you went to college, it was solely just to make you feel better about yourself. You get your MRS degree, you go home, you kick your shoes off, get pregnant, and you never leave. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, it's just so interesting to me. Um, I'm, because I grew, I grew up so different um, where, you know, I, well, I thought I was going to have a career, um, but I've always been kind of a hyper independent person and very stubborn. And so for me, when I'm done with a relationship, I'm done. And it would make me sad to get a check every month from some guy that I used to be married to. Like, it, I'd feel really, like, bad about myself. Um, oh, these don't. <laughs> they do <laughs> they're not. just like, get that money. Um, huh. Interesting. Um, so when you say that you're marrying a traditional Southern man, what do you mean by that? So his, uh, I, my family owns property, uh, because of course down here we care more about your hobbies than your job. That's see, I'm, I'm so Southern at heart. This is why, this is why Zach and I are looking at houses in Georgia. Because um, that's just Come like, on, move over to Georgia. I would love for you to come over. We got a guest bed made up. All right. I, I have I, a pool. Come on. You have a pool? Of course. You're fancy. We actually have, I mean, not to brag or anything, but we do have the nicest house on our road. <laughs> I'll let you brag. Hey, if you, you know, you got to brag about what you got. I'm into that. If we go on our road trip next summer, I will be hitting you up. Because um, we're, uh, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're, it's like an idea that we're batting around. And then just, it's hard because there's so many rural areas in this country. And I want to. Well, hey, yeah. if you come to South Carolina, I'll throw you in the back of the Jeep. We'll take a road trip. I'll show you all around. Our, our motto used to be smiling faces, beautiful places. And then before that, it was come sample the South. Come so. sample the South. Um, I'm so into that. Um <laughs> So oh, traditional Southern man. Yes. Um, so I have, uh, I'm inheriting a lot of property. He's inheriting a lot of property. So in this, in this sense, we are actually 
doing a, a traditional wedding where you're combining wealth. Um, okay. And, of course, since he joined the boot line, he is uh, considered an acceptable partner. Um, he's always done manually intensive jobs. He's 6'4", 220, um, and, you know, he's... He's he's very manly. He's very rugged. Uh, you know, I I was always taught from a young age that the only people that have limp handshakes are old ladies and liars. So I love you it. Know, uh, it's there's a there's a process. You know, if uh, traditionally Southern men follow the co- the codes of chivalry, um, they are. We call everyone ma'am from four to, you know, 94. Okay. What's the difference uh, between calling someone ma'am and miss? Because isn't that a thing? Like, out of respect, you'll call someone like Miss Julie. Oh, yeah. Well, ma'am is actually, you know, an agreeing term, you know, or yes, ma'am, or excuse me, ma'am, something like that. Miss would be, if I was talking to you, it would be Miss Sydney. Okay. And it's a term you use for someone that you like, right? Like, you wouldn't, if you didn't like someone, would you refer to them as Miss So-and-so? Uh, yeah, well, it's just, you always would do it. Just always respect, no matter what. Yeah, well, I mean, even whenever I'm mad at, at a woman, I still call them a lady. Okay, gotcha. Can you believe what this lady just did? Okay, I like this. <laughs> I I like this a lot. Um... um so it's just, well, and also whenever I was um, talking about this with a, a friend of mine from out of state, she said, do you know that you pronounce the comma in ma'am? <laughs> and I said, now I do. <laughs> because cause you say ma'am? Ma'am. Yeah. And how does she say it? Ma'am? I don't, I, I can't say it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, it, it's it's a lot shorter. It's like, ma'am, ma'am, me, ma'am. I, I can't do it. I always have the the, the apostrophe apparently, but um, yeah. So he he does that. Like whenever he talks to my mama, he's very very sweet to my mama. Uh, he immediately tries to have a relationship with my father. He hunts my father's property. Um. So it and if my daddy likes somebody, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, I didn't have the whole daddy sitting, waiting for you to get home. My daddy would just flip the lights on and off outside to tell me to come inside. Because if not, then he was going to come outside. That's that's the warning signal? Yeah, because if my daddy had to come outside, he was never nice. Yeah, that's because he already, you, you, you know, he, the parameters of what was expected of you were already set. And so right. if he has to remind you, he's not happy about it. Right. So it, it's all about not stepping on, on my daddy's toes. And then, of course, my mom is a chatty Kathy. So he always visits my mama and sits and talks with her for a while. Um, it, I mean, it's just stuff like that. And, of course, we all believe the way that, you know, a man treats his mama is the way he's going to treat you. Mm-hmm. So and and his mama and I are great friends. We actually are pickling stuff tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. What are you pickling? Um, we're pickling some okra, some cucumber, and some beets. Oh, wow. Um, I love your life, first of all. <laughs> is there a thing, and there, number one, there is a lot to be said that in order to have a happy marriage, you should get along with your partner's family because 
especially if you're going to have a family together, it you just you need everybody to get along and because it's going to make your life so much easier. Having family feuds and tensions or not liking your partner's parents is going to be a problem. Um, do women in the South uh, have issues with their moms the way like Yankee women do? Because um, f- for me, I feel like white women um, always have conflicts with their moms. It's always mom drama. And it's just like we we oftentimes just straight up don't like our moms. And I, I feel like that would be sacrilege in the South. It is. Uh, our mamas are our biggest cheerleaders. If you ever hear somebody saying that they hate their mama or that, you know, I mean, of course, whenever you're a teenager, you're like, my mama doesn't understand me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, to the end of the day, I know that if I needed to bury somebody in my mama's backyard, she would just not say anything. Mm-hmm. That's she's you know, she's always there for me. And, and that's the way it is with every woman I know. The only people that I know that have bad reputation, bad, bad relationships with their mamas, it's either because they have some sort of drug addiction, or, you know, some personal issue. It's not because of the dynamic. Okay, it's Um, not just like, they're always, you know, kind of having cat bites. But like, if someone's mom is like, you know, on on drugs, or has a real bad drinking problem, it would maybe be acceptable for them to not be as loyal. They just wouldn't socialize with them. They, it's mm-hmm. not that they would talk bad about them. They would just not socialize with them. Now, disliking your daddy can be fine. It's not nearly as bad, but daddy's girls are big down here. Mm-hmm. But mama's like, I have, I have been in fights and have seen a lot of fights for over your mama jokes like that. Whenever we were younger and we would watch the MTV show while and out and stuff and they would do your mama jokes. We were just kind of looking at each other. Just don't try that one. Yeah. Yeah. That, cause that's sacrilege. Um, yeah. <laughs> so for, for your husband, for part of being a traditional Southern man, is it expected still like that he, do, do a lot of women your age, does their spouse support them or is that an expectation? What are the expectations of a man to be considered a good Southern man? So that was actually a big part of contention for us before we got engaged because I've always been self-reliant. Um, I got my career early and I've always worked for everything that I've had for myself. So I, that's why I went through a time period of dating Midwestern men because they were more keen on me working. It wasn't um, as much of a because maybe maybe to Southern men you're like you're a wild card. They don't they don't well, know what to do with a woman like you. Yeah, it, it's a lot of that, and it's a lot of I don't ask for help. Um, I change my own car parts, stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, I don't I don't need you to change my brakes. I can change my own brakes. Mm-hmm. But um, as far yes, it was a big adjustment. Tanner is Tanner's the man I'm marrying. Um, his brother's name is Hunter. This is the level. <laughs> this is the level of South we're at. Yeah, Tanner and Hunter. Um, anyway, Tanner, whenever we got together, uh, he wanted to buy me things, and I, I felt very uncomfortable doing it. But it's a, it's a thing down here. Uh, women, uh, most of the women that I know, after they get married, they combine their finances, which is something that I would never do. My parents don't do it, and they were considered to be very, uh, 
unstable whenever they did that when they got married. That, um, that is fascinating to me because I am very uncomfortable with combined finances. Exactly. I have um, some friends where he was Mormon and she converted to Mormonism so like she could marry him in the church or whatever, but they lived in separate states. And so for or, in order for them to be in the same state, leading up to their marriage they basically said oh well we're engaged so that kind of everyone would be off their back while they lived together and they didn't get married for two years um but the minute she moved in like they'd been dating long distance like six months and the minute she moved in they opened a joint bank account like they just went right into it and that was shocking to me um and she couldn't understand why that was so weird to me and I just was like I've only lived with one man before that was and it was 10 years ago and we basically we were together for four years but we functioned like roommates like we, yeah we split up and so for me um now I'm I'm moving in with Zach a uh, big announcement to the listeners um but oh, woo, uh, Yay. yeah we're taking we're taking our honeymoon and without a license to the next level um it's great it's great <laughs> I'm excited that the Zach me the dog my craft supplies and the microphones can be all under one roof. Um, but she can permanently move it to the garage. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I can stop like splitting my time between two houses. Um, but I'm having him print out a lease, like a month to month lease for me to sign. Cause I was like, let's just do that. Like I'm a tenant. So it's something we can't fight about. Like, I just it's combining finances is a, is a scary proposition and I just feel like I, I don't know people jump into that and I'm just like I don't ever want to fight about money so if we can just like I don't know so it's weird that your your parents did they keep through their own their whole marriage did they have like separate bank accounts Okay, so um, everybody that my mama and daddy are friends with they all have joint accounts my parents got together and uh, my daddy was the one making the most money and he said no keep your own money in your own account and you do with it what you want to do and as soon as you're making more money I'll give you some of the bills and you can pay for them okay and now my parents live uh in their Barbie dream home and my mom makes more money than him and they still do the same thing where they just they have a joint savings account they have a joint spending account for larger things and then they have their own private accounts on the side and that's what uh, Tanner and I do. He's very comfortable with it. But a lot of people that we know, they dumped all their money in the same account. And then they both use the app and watch each other as they buy stuff, which I find to be extremely unhealthy. I just because it gives you something to fight about. Like, well, I, I mean, and it's also just the sense that you're tracking somebody. It's why are you, you know, oh, you spent $10 down at the Circle K. Then you went down to the Walmart and spent $25. Now you're up in Lexington buying Moe's, you know, it's I don't want receipts from me all day knowing exactly what I have done. No, that's we are we, big down here about our own secrecy. Oh, explain what you mean by that. Okay, so that's the reason that I think that the lot of southeast states maintain red state status because the idea of I mean, we are straight out of a George Orwell novel, you know, <laughs> warning tab. Mm -hmm. We hate the idea. I refuse to have Alexa or Siri in my house. I have Apple products. I have all that shit turned off. Um, we don't, I mean, traffic cams. We had, in my town alone, 
they tried to talk about putting traffic cams up in the next five years at our intersections, and we voted against it. The idea that people could be taking pictures of us out in the intersection freaked us out. My daddy had a drone drive, dry, um, fly over one of his food plots the other day, and he shot it down. We did not like the <laughs> yes. idea of people watching us. Mm-hmm. It's... Um. It, there's people who they go, oh, it makes me feel safe. Like if I, because here's the people are obsessed with true crime, and so they. It's I'm been, obsessed with true crime, and I don't want anything watching me. No, but like they say, people who watch true crime stuff, like they have an inflated idea of what crime rates are, and so I know people who are like, yeah, it makes me feel safe because like if anything happens to me, you know, like my act, my my, I, I'm on camera places, and my motions have been tracked or whatever. And I'm like, that's a really weird way to live your fucking life. Um, I just I'm not that type of like I I know a lot of people who have home security camera stuff. And if I lived with these people, I didn't find out uh, until I moved in that they had cameras in the house and but they and they would like fucking watch them. And it was it's just so uncomfortable for me to be like, I'm just trying to cook my dinner. And I know that like someone's like peeking in on me. People get yeah, too- we don't we don't like any of that. Uh, people who have you don't even have dashboard cameras down here. The only people that have them are truck drivers. Oh, okay. Um, we I mean we don't have we only have two toll bridges and both of them are for private roads. It's just the separate. That is one thing that I really feel like the country kind of gets as a whole about us is that we are against the the progression of of out side influences in our own life we still like the ability to choose um i mean capitalism sucks ass but it still gives the ability for us to say no and Mm -hmm. we really like that Mm -hmm. um so this the south is more resistant to i guess the concept of the soft cage where you know here you're always being watched so you your behavior is regulated because you know you're being observed constantly um and it's weird to me that people find comfort in that um but uh how did we get on that what were we getting at with the south traditional man (laughs) i gotta like backtrack a couple seconds they were talking about me marrying a traditional Uh a traditionally southern man um we're we're doing a lot of uh, traditional things um, as far as our that I never thought that we would be doing. Um, whenever we bought a house, I never thought I would buy a big ass house. I always thought I would live in a tiny home mm-hmm. um, because I'm an environmentalist, which is unusual. And, is that unusual down there? Um, no. Well, wildlife preservation is a big movement down here, so mm-hmm. uh, crop rotation is widely used we all know it actually fun fact about me i was the only recorded person at my high school to be the president of the ffa with blue hair (laughs) i love it um (laughs) that and that's the interesting thing uh i think a lot of city liberals miss out on when they think about the south and they think you know you live in downtown chicago and you fancy yourself an environmentalist but like people in rural america know more about environmental sustainability because they're actually actively engaging with the earth so like they know about crop rotation and stuff um and they're more aware of like their waste because like you have to burn your trash or whatever like um 
well, burning trash is a is a is a risky business, but we are very big on recycling. And of course, um, Clemson University is in the upstate, and you can send in your soil samples up there. Uh, my daddy does it every year, and they test the nutritional value of your soil to tell you whether or not you know what you need to add to it, what's best to plant on it. Uh, based on the year because of course if you keep planting squash and zucchini on the same land you're gonna have to move it later on mm-hmm. um and then white-tailed deer are actually overpopulated so uh we have extended uh deer season an additional two months to try to cut down on the population we also give out more doe tags to shoot more does um and And the National Wild Turkey Federation is also headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, What do people do, like, when when people are hunting, are they, how do I phrase this? So, like, you can only eat so much deer meat. Do you share it with people who don't hunt? Oh, Um, of course. Because I picture Um, deer overpopulation is at a point now where it's like more people need to start eating deer. Like, cause there's like people, people who, people are weird in that they're like, I only eat like pigs and cows. Um, and they're weird about venison. Um, and I'm like, I think, I feel like we might need more people to get into venison. Um, it's so as a cute country. that you call it venison. Isn't that what it's called? It is. That's a, that's the correct term. Of course we all call it deer meat. Um, but okay. So everybody down here also, if you hunt, you own more than one deep freezer. So a family of five would need to shoot two deer to go through uh, the end of deer season to the next deer season. Mm -hmm. When you process a deer, you're going to want deer shoulder, deer flank, stuffed onion sausage. Whenever you stuff stuff sausage, please, for the love of God, get stuffed onion sausage. It's the best. Okay. Um, You get loose crumble sausage also with onion. Don't make the mistake. Uh, And then, of course, just a whole bunch of brown deer that you can use for spaghetti, hamburgers, pretty much anything that you'd use for cow. So whenever I was growing up, we would just, um, we would keep two deer in the freezer. And then if we got a third, you would just take it to whoever didn't get a deer that season. So... On my date, on my parents' road, they live on, we call it the golf cart road because it's a nice paved, well, it's not a paved, it's a nice gravel scraped road. And my parents live at the end of it and they're friends with everybody on it. And they all just ride up and down on their golf carts. Uh, and so my parents will take whatever they have down the road to whoever and give them the rest of the deer. Or my mama will take it over to her parents' house who have a walk-in freezer and we just store it there and you just put it in a in a box with your name on it. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So then when maybe next year you won't get as many and then you'll have that one. Well, we mostly keep it over there in case somebody needs it. Like I didn't shoot a deer this past year. I broke my foot. Um, so since I didn't shoot a deer and Tanner is mostly a duck hunter. Okay. He's duck and turkey. And um my daddy likes rabbit. And then I do squirrel and deer and quail sometimes. Okay. But so you have kind of a specialty based on your shooting style is what you're mostly going to hunt. So you try to find other people that hunt animals that you don't kill as well. And so then you can, you can either trade or since the seasons normally don't align, like if, 
you know, like with the deer, my mama put it in the walk-in and then I called her and said, Hey, you know, mama, I'm out of ground deer. Do you have any more? And she will say, go down to your papa's and get, you know, get it from the freezer. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Um, it's like a communal freezer. I mean, that is fancy to have a walk-in freezer. (laughs) I don't know how common that is, but it sounds pretty bougie. Um, well, we get the old refrigerators. My my uncle has a Frigidaire from the forties. Uh, my other another one of my uncles has a Coke freezer from the fifties from the gas station. Oh wow! We, I love we it. We just collect old stuff. I mean, I love it. It's also very uh, green. Um, so you've bought this big house that you never expected yourself to buy, but you bought it because you're going to have a family. Is that why? Well, I don't believe in having more than two kids, even though I come from a family that is massive. Um, mm-hmm. I figure, you know, once me and my future husband die, it, we've only, you know, we have two to replace us. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a four bed. So really, I wanted to keep a guest bedroom because I love Southerners love to entertain. Mm-hmm. We yeah. are entertainers at heart. Well, there's um there's a hospitality to it where um, right. you, you just know how to take care of people and make them feel comfortable in your space, which is um something it's so fucking weird how city folk are. I always and I say this as someone who works in a restaurant where people will just fucking sit in your restaurant for four hours and you want to be like. Dude, all you're doing is sitting and talking. You're not even buying anything. <laughs> do, do none of you have a nice enough home that you couldn't be sitting on someone's sofa? Because, like, that's the way I like to visit with my friends. And part of it's, like, I work in restaurants and bars. I don't want to go to them on my time off. Um, I like just hanging out at friends' houses. I go to yours, you go to mine, and we just sit around and talk. But I feel like a lot of city folk, they just don't do that. They don't entertain in their homes. They just always meet somewhere I guess it's called a third space um, because you have homework and then the third space and like they always meet in a third space instead of entertaining in the home. Um, I I have noticed that. It's a lost art is uh, I mean not not in the south but in general I feel like it's a lost art entertaining in your home and being like yeah you don't have like glassware and iced tea and like water and beer like you don't have stuff to offer guests in your home. What are you doing? Yeah, well, I, whenever I was younger, I was always uh, always kind of strange about it, why my mama always had a cake on the counter. And cake on the counter, coffee pot ready to be made, like just you press the on button and it starts percolating, and tea. That's all you need. Dessert, cake, coffee. I mean, um. I mean <laughs> dessert, coffee, tea. And then, of course, supper. You always ask people to stay for supper, and if they don't stay for supper, you consider it rude. Because if you're cooking and somebody walks in and you say, oh, supper's about ready, and they say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I got to get back to the house, that is a rude moment. That I, I that makes sense to me as someone who I'm really weird about food. These are where I go, man, can I survive in the South? Um, <laughs> cause just a- well, it's okay to be much fatter out here than out there. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I have, like, a very particular diet, and so, like, I'm just very particular about my food, and so, um, like, I, I, I don't eat a lot of things, um, and so then I always feel like, man, am I just going to be constantly interpreted as rude if I'm like, oh, I'll have some salad, and then I'm good. Um, See, we also don't normally sell serve salad as part of the meal. Yeah. So that's not a thing. Like, whenever you would have a meal, 
traditionally okay so sunday sunday supper which is actually at lunch because also fun fact about us we only on holidays we do not have christmas supper we do not have thanksgiving supper all that shit takes place from noon to one you eat it at lunch then you wait and you eat it again for supper yeah so it just stays out all day we do not care about like the food hazard whatever can't sit out no that potato salad sitting there for four hours. Just, just mayonnaise sitting out. Um, it's sitting on the counter. There's AC. That, <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I but, think, um, yeah, depending on the AC, it might be the safe zone. Um, so, yeah, so enter- learning how to entertain in your home is important, right? Like, It's taught from a young age. It, I remember as a kid, mama coming over and well i mean somebody coming over and mama telling me okay we'll make sure that you go and fold all the blankets that are on the couch and mama would go ahead and like make sure that everything's in the kitchen that you may need or whatever and then you sit there and you wait and when people come in you immediately hey how you doing you want something to drink you want tea or you want coffee Mm -hmm. and you don't stop in the middle of that you just immediately ask them and assume it's a yes and then ask them which one and then while you're making that you go oh well i have two different kinds of cake you want a rum cake or you want a pound cake there is no no option. It is which one. Which one of these two do you want? Yes, because you're taking one. Mm-hmm. And then if it's supper, oh, sit down. I'm making supper. There's this because my mama always has had an eight seating table for this reason. It is only customary to seat eight. Doesn't matter if you only have two people living there. You seat for eight. <laughs> seat for eight <laughs> yes um i um, love it this is something as we um because i work at a neighborhood bar but the reason we are super busy even in slow season is we have a standard of service where we just blow everyone else out of the water and so we i my motto is always take care of people like they're in my own home greet them the minute they walk in the door what do you want? Make sure they never have an empty glass. They shouldn't have to get up for anything. If you see them looking around, you know, what do they not? They need napkins. They need something to eat, like whatever. I do not like it when people have to like come up and ask for something or I want to make it so you settle in, you relax, I'm taking care of you. And so as we are getting busier and hiring new staff, trying to communicate like the quality or the standard of service to people who aren't used to like, hosting and like be like no that you shouldn't that you shouldn't have they shouldn't have to want for anything you're you should cater to their needs so that they're never without what they want or need um and it, i think it's just a different style I've, I've moved out of her house for five years now and when i come over even though you know that's my mama my mama still has my room set up and everything I walk in and now I get the the guest treatment and I do it to everyone else. And I fought against it for a long time because I wanted to be more progressive. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that it's just, it's, it's a custom that makes people happy that they normally don't get during the day when they're associating with people that may not have the same customs. Yeah. I mean, it just feels good to take care of people. And, um, I, I have a I have some friends who that's they cook dinner every night and they have different people over every night for dinner and like 
they kind of have a reputation where it's like, yeah, that's a great, they, it's a great home to go to. People want to go into their home and spend time with them because it's, they make it a good experience. And um, I think that's what you want. Right. Right. I mean, I absolutely agree. I, um, I, I'm trying to do it now because we've only been living in this new house for three months now. And it's so strange because it's not as homey as I feel like it should feel. Um, just because that's the feeling that you should give off, you know, that we're supposed to give off is that our home is everyone else's home. You know, you walk in, you take your shoes off, you sit, you, you know, you're just part of our family at that point. It takes a while when you have a new home to establish that, especially when you've got four, <laughs> four bedrooms and you want to set up the guest room and stuff. That's a, that's a process of settling in. Um, and then, you know, you can have people over and, uh, well, you know, I was really just trying to, you know, hope that, hope to sell to you that if you were wandering through South Carolina that you could come and stay and I could make you a tourist for a minute. Oh, I'll, no, I'm 100% in. I, I 100% <laughs> am into this. Um, I am known for not having boundaries with my listeners. Um, she used to always like it so shocked when I use my phone number for the show or whatever. And I just was like, I, the people who I've met through podcasting are the coolest people. I, uh, I absolutely want to be part of their lives and be friends with them. They're the dopest people, um, that I've ever met. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm not weird about that. I don't have that, uh, that sort of stranger danger. I think that a lot of people have, um, It's just you know, uh, no, I I will I will be visiting um, as we uh, <laughs> as we map out our our summer U.S. road trip for next year because um, I just... well I think it would be wonderful for you to meet Tanner just because I mean I I guess I just didn't get to describe him very well in the whole you know like traditional sense but he he is I mean he wears the Carhartt dungaree pants and the and the work boots and he's got like the the working muscles and everything. He's just, he's very blue collar and he grew up in the woods too. And his accents thick and, and, and he's a wonderfully sweet man. And it's, and it, to me, it was very hard to find somebody that wasn't so sweet and was like that because I, uh, fun fact, I can only date or marry men that could potentially kill me with their own hands it's a requirement you're one of those Um, women I always say there's like a certain (laughs) type of woman I'm not going to put you in the category of women who date MMA fighters but there's like I totally am though I've dated hockey players for that reason yeah and I I'm like (laughs) for me I'm like I is the I've I've dated one person who looked like a superhero where I'm like you're not you're just like the biggest buffest person ever um and it was weird for me but like there's a type there's women who that's their type and I go it is it is it exciting because there's an element of danger is it like when white people want to have pet tigers because they're like this thing could kill me um (laughs) so I remember this episode that you're talking about (laughs) and whenever I was listening to it I was like that's me (laughs) um it is it honestly is uh I am a five three uh, and, and of course out here we're chunkier than y'all are out there. So I'm one fifty. I'm a buck fifty and six and, and five, three, and he is six, four and two twenty. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting because I used to get into a lot of fights whenever really? I was younger and then I got, oh, oh yes. I, I only fought dudes. Really? Yes. You're scrappy. 
Um, I love, actually, it's only been about 27 days since I punched a dude in the face. But the, the great thing about marrying, uh, an int is that even if you fought, even if I get into a fight and lose, Mm -hmm. I've got backup. Yeah. I've got somebody that can reach the tall things. I've got backup. And, you know, whenever I get drunk and want to talk shit at people, you know, at bars and stuff like that, I've just got this gargantuan towering behind me. You know, it's like Scrappy-Doo. Well, I think that's part of, um, I think it's a historical thing in the relationships between men and women, but particularly Southern, where um, women are sophisticated and genteel and they need a man for protection. And it it, 100%, I don't think that it makes anyone a bad feminist to go, I'm five foot three. I am small and like easily preyed upon. It does feel good to have a six, four dude next to me. Like it is protection. Like it is. I, there's a lot of things that like, I think and believe that I'm like, does this make me a bad feminist or a bad woman? But like, just acknowledge my brother once, cause I, I complained to him that a guy, I met him to go to a theater show. And when we left, Um, Because we drove separate because he was getting out of work and couldn't pick me up, whatever. And when we left the show, he didn't walk me to my car, um, which was in a parking garage in a city at night. (laughs) And I just was like, I was like, I came home and I was like, I'm really disappointed that this guy didn't walk me to my car. Like it hurt my heart a little. And my brother is like, you women want to be treated equal, but you still want, you say you want to be treated equal, you want special treatment, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't. I don't think that there's a thing about like it's common courtesy. I walk my mama to her car. Yeah, because like I'm like, it's not me saying that um, like I don't need to I don't need to put myself in danger to be to be a strong woman. I'm sorry. I'm I'm five five. Like I'm walking to my car in a parking garage at night. I shouldn't be doing that alone because if we're walking to our cars, our separate cars in separate parking garages, the chances of me getting attacked are much higher than him getting attacked. Like it just, you know, I just, and, and my brother went off on me for that one. And I was like, no, like it's, I acknowledge the fact that I am more likely to be preyed upon and less able to defend myself. Like that is a, that is a biological fact that women on average are smaller and more vulnerable than men. It feels nice to have like a big, strong man to protect you. Um, well, well, there's like a giant movement here uh, because you can get a CWP in the same day that you could probably, you know, license to get, you know, get a boater's permit or whatever. So, cause I can like, if I left right now to go down to Academy sports or something, I can buy a gun in less than 30 minutes. So down here we have a big movement for women to get their CWPs and buy guns for mm-hmm. this exact reason. <laughs> I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I live in the Wild West where a lot of people are gun owners. Um, I'm not one of them. My brother works in the firearms industry, and like I've gone shooting with him and stuff. But I, uh, for years, you know, I lived alone. Um, and I would close bars by myself and people would be like, why don't you get a gun? But I also have a, a, I have a history of depression. So I just would be like, you know, I don't, I don't think that's for me. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. Don't get a gun if you don't need a gun. That's definitely, definitely a lesson learned here. But I mean, it's, I, 
I def whenever I went well my first gun was actually bought for me my daddy gave me my first gun when I was eight uh and then I bought my first gun when I was 18 and I now own five guns and whenever I've purchased them it's they've all been for reasons but I never bought a handgun until I moved out on my own yeah because then yeah you don't have someone to protect you yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, the likelihood of somebody holding you up with a knife it here is so much lower, uh, lower than someone holding you up with a gun because guns are easily accessible out here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more people have them. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you can walk down the sidewalk and there could be a discarded gun in the ditch. Who knows? Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just something... Um, Cultural relativity is something that a lot of people don't take into account when they're passing judgment on others. Um, And the interesting thing about the United States is because it is so big, we are so diverse culturally. And so when people try to make blanket statements about like this, the law should be this way or we should do it that way. It's like, dude, it's other countries, the, the entire fucking country is the size of one of our states. Like, so there's it's easier to make pass blanket laws or judgment but it's you know here for someone who lives in Rhode Island to make a statement on gun culture in the south like it's a hundred it's different worlds well you have also a lot of you know ignorance of people that think that if laws are going to be passed that somebody's going to show up and be like okay well these are all the serial numbers of guns that you own and we need you to turn them in and that is just not the case um, I deal with a lot of people that believe, you know, the, everything they read on the internet and it's disgusting, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, you, it, a lot of it, a lot of people do not understand that yelling at people is not going to get anybody anywhere and just sitting there and, and spouting facts that are very right at them is not going to get anywhere either, but appealing to humanity and talking to them like they're actual people might actually help yeah if you get to know a person like you get to understand them then when you are kind of trying to influence their ideas you can meet them where they're at which was something that bailey um touched on in the episode on sustainability that you have Mm -hmm. you have to meet people where they're at before you try to alter their opinion or lifestyle or anything um and it's why I don't engage in a lot of political discourse because they've done studies where the even in the face of empirical data being shown evidence to the contrary of your belief system actually makes you hunker down more in your beliefs so I just don't believe in in confronting anyone on any differing opinion I'm I love an open dialogue, a hundred percent. I don't like um, a, a debate or anything of that nature because, if, for me personally, it's more important to understand other people than to influence how they think. I would rather understand them than have them agree with me on anything. Um, and if I understand them, then maybe there is a chance that I could say something that might influence them. But like, that's not a priority to me. I don't. I also don't place a lot of value in being right, um, quote unquote, right, as people like to be. <laughs> well, I mean, change is slow as molasses anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Oh, and uh, I, I, I think there was something else. Oh, so 
One thing that I did want to say, because this bothers all of us that graduated at USC, the University of South Carolina, okay. is that whenever people hear USC on any anything, they all think the University of Southern California, and it hurts our hearts. <laughs> There's more than one USC. No, okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to get a little huffy for a second. Okay. South Carolina was founded, actually, Charlestown was founded in 1661. We got our statehood in 1788. USC, the school, was founded in 1801. California didn't even become a state until 1858. So they're late to the party. Well, 1850. Sorry, not 1858. 1850. So, yes, USC was a school for 49 years. <laughs> Before South, uh, before California even became a state, um, and they just got to the internet first and got USC.edu. Oh, so what is your school's web.usc.edu? Oh, that's sad. It is sad. We've been out here educating people now for almost you know, for over 200 years and we still didn't get it because Steve Jobs. Oh man, that's, that, it makes me sad <laughs> that they got a bad, cause that's like, talk about a scarlet web letter having a bad web address. Um, yes. Cause I mean, whenever you want to type in usc.edu and it sends you to Southern California and they can suck our ass. You hear that? We've started, we're, start, well, I, we're not starting the rivalry. I'd like to think that we are, but, uh, the, the rivalry. Oh, I, I will throw down about this. <laughs> I mean, it, well, I don't know if you know about, well, probably not. SEC footballs, the Southeastern Conference collegiate football is the biggest thing that happens in our life every year. From August onward, it is nothing but trouble. And Clemson, of course, won the SEC, and then they became – anyway, they're better than USC. Uh, so, in football. And uh, so, USC and Clemson have had an ongoing rivalry now for over 50 years. And if you wear a USC – if you're in Columbia, which is where USC is, and you're wearing a Clemson jersey – there is a very good chance that your ass will get kicked in town and nobody will care. Um, okay, number one, <laughs> is it mandatory to be into football in the South? Yes. Because I, I don't understand sports. And you, <laughs> you would think after uh, working. Some people don't. Yeah. It's fine. After working in bars for 14 years, it hasn't clicked in. So I don't know that it's going to. Um, I, I've, I've been getting into MMA and it like it makes sense to me, which is a, sh a shock to everyone. But football, I just do not understand. Um, I try to gauge like how much of a ass whooping I would get in the South. Cause like, well, see, the whole thing is, is you don't have to be into the games. You don't even have to watch the games because as women, you're not required to know the sport as much. Now, men are required to know the sport. Okay. So as a woman, you would just, I mean, right now I'm actually wearing a USC shirt. We just wear, um, in fashion, we mostly wear collegiate gear, um, stuff that has the Palmetto and Crescent Moon, which is, of course, our state flag. Uh, South Carolina was also voted the best state flag. Really? Yes, we have the best state flag. What um, is your state flag? 
It's a palmetto tree with a crescent moon. It is navy and white. Okay, I'm gonna look it up. We just at my um at my bar we hung sound tiles from the ceiling, and every sound tile is. Uh, upholstered in a different state flag and um, I've been having a fun time realizing how few I recognize but now when I go to work next week I'll look to see if I can um, recognize the South Carolina state flag oh yeah we we're the we're the prettiest um and of course the reason being is because palmetto trees were put up in fort sumter during the revolutionary war and they found out cannonballs bounce off of palmetto trees instead of going through them so they, they is, were kind of a big deal. Yeah, we're the reason that we won the Revolutionary War. Um, I'll tell you something about my family. We were here before the war, but we didn't, <laughs> we didn't fight in it. They, my family was... You got in fuck with the war? <laughs> no, my family was Quakers. Um, so my grandma, I think it was my grandma or my great-grandma tried to join the DAR, and so she had to do all the... Um, that's that's a big deal. Yeah, they so she had to because she thought like she knew the family was here before the war, so the assumption was that they fought in it, right? They came over from England and they were here. Um, and then when she did the genealogy, uh, it was revealed that we were Quakers and we just uh, didn't we didn't fuck with the war. Um, <laughs> and there much shame, much shame was brought to the Delorean household, I guess. Uh, but. Um, well- we take a big deal. I mean, especially Revolutionary War era, the 16 to 1700s are a big deal along the East Coast because you know we're we're an original colony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we take a big we take big pride in that. And and there's only two Southern states that are colonies: South Carolina and Georgia. And Georgia was a federal prison as a colony, so we don't count them anyway. They were a prison colony. Yeah, Georgia was used solely as a federal prison colony for the well, I say federal. They were used as a as a prison for the colonies. So if you fucked up, you got sent to uh Georgia. So South Carolina was really the only southern colony. North Carolina didn't join until after the 13. Really? This is see this yep. is how little I know about It's Delaware, history. New Jersey, uh Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Georgia. Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, South Carolina, and Rhode Island. Okay. Look at that, right? I think you might have had a better primary education than I had. Oh, I minored in history. <laughs> oh, okay, that makes sense because like I where I grew up, we had really great um school systems and uh that's why I I graduated high school when I was uh I was 15 or 16 because I, I was 16 we moved out we moved out to Arizona um from Michigan and I just tested out of everything out here because Arizona doesn't have good schools but um between the primary education system uh and me now there was like a good decade of alcoholism that may have affected things um so yeah there's a lot of stuff where I'm like I if I learned it it did not stick um, so you graduated early, you said. Yes, I graduated at 16. I decided I was done with it. And then I left to go do undergrad. Um, and that's how you have a career and have dabbled in graduate school and you're only 25. Uh, I graduated undergrad with a degree in uh, photography, mostly black, uh, black room, dark room photography. <laughs> I was going to say black and white and dark room. Um, Darkroom photography and ceramics, and then I minored in history, and then I went to grad school for a master's of arts in teaching and art education. Okay. And then now we're not going to say what you do for a living. Cause... Yeah, now I'm just a federal employee. Good for you. 
well, get that the pension. Are nice. Yeah, exactly. As someone who I just, I if there's any fucking advice I can give to any young people, and I will say this because I have so many young people who are listeners, like settle into a career when you are younger with benefits, if at all possible. Like go to college in the state that you ultimately want to live in because you're going to network with people from college and you're going to maybe work in a lower tier position in your field through college. Or I always say take time off. Get If you think you might want to be a doctor, maybe work the desk of a doctor's office for like a year before deciding to go to college. Like if you can, if there's any way you can try out your career before investing years of education in it, do that. And then decide where you want to live and go to college there and start your career as young as possible because I'm at a point now where I have student loans and I have medical debt. And so it's hard for me to take a pay cut to to enter into a field because no matter what degree you graduate with, when you start working, you're at the bottom of the barrel. And that's that's something I, you know. When I grew up, they said, go to college and then you can get a good job. And like, that's not how it works. Anyways, that's my long rant uh, is like, start young, get (laughs) benefits, get a pension. All that shit that you think doesn't matter matters so, so much. Because I know a lot of people who, you know, are transitioning mid to late 40s into, uh, I have a friend who became a flight attendant, a friend who became a actually I had three friends who went into the postal service, but they're grunts. Like they don't have full-time hours because it's not guaranteed because they're union jobs and eventually it'll be a really great job for them and they, they can retire and stuff. But like it sucks to be that person in your forties. Um, so I, congrats on being a government employee. It is very wise, very wise decision. Um, Honestly, my, uh, for anyone that's like in public school, my advice would be check out trades jobs because especially down here, if you're an HVAC specialist or a plumber or a brick mason, you're making almost six figures a year, if not six figures. Oh yeah. That's the other thing is those that are talk about the, the sort of scorn that people have towards blue collar and these like academic ivory towers and then there are fields where like no one knows how to be an electrician or um a metal fabricator or like there are just all these trade fields where people are making great livings because that shit needs to get done um well i mean and it's a craft like i don't know if you've ever seen somebody lay brick before but the uh my parents neighbors at the end of their road they own the property next to my parents and the the patriarch of that family was a brick mason by trade he had three sons and a daughter and he trained all three sons to be brick masons and not a single damn one of them do it and that's just a skill lost i mean there's no more he's that man has already died and none of those sons know how to lay brick anymore um. and that is such an expensive and an important trade that is dying and if more people uh, in the in our schools down here we actually have um these uh career and technology centers that teach kids how to start doing things like that we have welding classes plumbing classes um ag mech classes where you can learn how to rebuild you know small machines such as lawnmowers and it's really helped our community as far as helping kids 
transition from public school to the job field because college isn't an option for a lot of these kids. I once was a student teacher in a school district that only 17% of the kids had access to internet at home. Oh, man. So in those, you know, in those situations, those kids would show up early to school. I would show up early. We would do their homework and their parents are, are just trying to scrape by. But the best option for these kids to be able to pull themselves out of poverty would be to enter into a field where they can do all of their interdisciplinary training before they graduate and go straight into the workforce. And it, that's amazing. Oh, I know. I um. So number one, because also college is a lot of money these days. And so like you need to make sure it's I it you may, need to make sure that you really want to do it and I, not just like jump into it for no reason. Oh, definitely. Um, what was I going to say? Um, God darn it. Um, oh, yeah. I have a friend who always he's a fucking crybaby. He's he's a metal worker. He builds off road cars like racing like I don't, he, I don't know, like cars that you would see doing like dirt racing. He builds them like he builds them from nothing and he repairs mm -hmm. them and builds the body and he will like whine about how, oh, I didn't go to college. I missed out on that experience. I didn't have those friendships, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but like you knew what you liked to do. You apprenticed with people who were great at doing it. You now own your own business doing exactly what you wanted to do that you're super good at it. And the friends and relationships you have in your life are in that field. Like you didn't miss shit by not going to college. You did everything great. Stop being a crybaby. I don't think, I don't know what you think happens at college, but you didn't miss out on it. You did exactly what you needed to do to get to where you wanted to be in life. I don't have any friends from college. Um, and I went to college for 14 years. I don't have any friendships like lasting from that. So like that sort of idea that you need to have this experience as part of professional development is so silly. Just go apprentice. If you, if you are a tradesperson, go apprentice in that trade. Um, well, and it's, I don't, you know, of course it would depend on where you're living, but I know around here, I mean, we have people that, you know, especially construction sites, most of the time you just bring your own tools and you show up to a construction site and say, hey, I want to make, I want to learn how to do this and make some money while I'm at it. And they'll just throw you on the job site. Uh, yeah. And you're getting, pretty soon you know how to frame a house. Um, Yeah, you're getting paid to learn something, which is great. I worked construction um, all through my first college degree, and I love it. I always say it was my favorite job that I ever did. I mostly built custom cabinets, but we did some framing, we did some roofing, um, did some light demo tiling, like kind of whatever, but mostly custom like cabinets, entertainment centers, whatever. And like, it was my favorite thing because there to, to get paid, to do to learn something and to make something is amazing versus every other field you pay four years of college and then you have an unpaid in fashion you it's standard to do two years of unpaid and internships before you start making basically a salary that's minimum wage it's a terrible industry to break into um so trades are kind of great young people well, I definitely think that's the that's the mentality down here I got a degree in art and that's very uncommon for people down here to allow their kids to just go do something frivolous, mm -hmm. uh, such as the fine arts. 
And so, you know, I definitely grew up with a lot of people that were, oh, you're, you're majoring in economics, right? Or, or you're majoring in sports medicine or something, pre-med law, something like that. If you're going to college, it was because you're going for a six-figure salary. Mm -hmm. If you're not going for six figures, what are you doing in college? Um, is it a little more acceptable for women to study art because they assume you're going to have a husband as the breadwinner? Like if a guy said, I want to get an art degree, it would probably be a bigger deal. Everyone, um, I went to two separate USC campuses, one in Aiken and one in Columbia. They're about an hour and a half away from each other. And in both instances in the art field, the only people that you find are people with parents with money. Mm -hmm. um, and so whenever I got there... I was surrounded with people who have had the same opportunities as me and they were, you know, it, it became a very self-centered field, whereas in other fields that, you know, a kid may be going for economics, their parents may, they're there, they could be their own pale grants, they could be their own, you know, personal loans or whatever, because they're doing something that means you know, money for their family. Whereas in art, it's a lot of people, a lot of people are there because they don't know what else they're going to do or they're rich burnouts or, you know, they just, they, they feel like this is the outlet that they need as some self, you know, self-diagnosed therapy. Yeah. There, that's the category I fall into. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I mean, it was the same with me. I should have gone for forestry because that's what I know and that's what I should have done. But I needed some, you know, self-motivation that I wasn't complete garbage. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, like I always say, I, 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 college for me didn't lead to a career, but it definitely... Uh, I attribute to most of my personal growth and development. I didn't have, oh, definitely. I didn't have a great upbringing and learning different modes of art um, and such like that. It did develop me into a human being. Um, I wish it, it didn't cost, you know, as much money as it did to get there, but I don't regret the experience because it, it did develop me as a person. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, I probably, I don't know, therapy is expensive, but it might be cheaper than 14 years of art school. Um, well, they have free therapy at college. I did not take advantage of any of that. And I don't, I don't know why. Because I'm stubborn. Because I'm stubborn. <laughs> um, okay, anything else about the South we should touch on before we uh, wrap it up? Um, no, I guess just always remember to wear floral patterns, monogram your shit, and, uh, you know, memorize all Toby Keith songs because they will be played during the month of July. Um, I sing, <laughs> I sing uh, Toby Keith to my dog a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't. I think the dog is indifferent towards it, but Zach and I love it. Um, so and floral prints. Yeah, it's, we all wear floral prints, especially daisies, lilies, and sunflowers. Oh, I love. See, this is it. This is. I am a southerner at heart. I love a loud blouse. Is what I call it. I have an extensive loud blouse collection. Um, and I'm tired of explaining to people when they question my outfits. I, like, I'm like, I don't have time to explain fashion to everyone, but I need you to know that me and my loud blouse are great. Uh, well, you know, um, I'll send you some Instagram DMs of me and my floral prints and you can live vicariously through the loud and proud. Act I, <laughs> I love it so much. 
Um, and maybe we'll do a follow-up episode because I'm sure at, when I listen back to this, I'm going to have like more questions. Oh, um, fantastic. I would love to answer them. And I need your, uh, your address so I can send you a little thing. Okay. I will, uh, I'll text it to you. You'll know where I live. Um, cause I, you know, I don't have a PO box. <laughs> <laughs> okay That's, well either either way is fine with me <laughs> yeah no I don't have I trust I trust you to have my home address we're like best friends now so oh fantastic <laughs> well I mean you can come and stay in my guest house and swim in my pool and I'll take you around and you know you can eat some of our uh, fast food places that y'all don't have out there <laughs> oh god all right I'll start um start training my digestive system to be uh less fickle I'm z- homemade Zach- peach ice cream all day <laughs> oh my god zach's gonna shit himself when he hears that's a thing he's he's the oh, e- i live 15 minutes away they fresh turn it every day watsonia it's also known as peaches and such and they sell the perfect peach strawberry swirl oh my gosh i uh I, yeah he's gonna he's gonna die <laughs> uh he's he's the eater of the family um well thank you so much for doing this episode with me i am thank you for having me yeah this was this was delightful um and we'll just tell everyone to have a happy hump day happy hump day everybody bye